Hi everyone, it's Jeff Cameron here. I'm the director of the Baha'i Community of Canada's Office of Public Affairs, which has been producing this podcast, The Public Discourse. The podcast you're about to listen to is a little different from our previous ones. You'll hear the edited audio from a conversation that originally broadcast as part of the Democracy Exchange Festival, an initiative hosted by Ryerson University in Toronto. This conversation brought together representatives of several national religious groups to talk about the role of religion in democratic processes. It followed on a conference panel with several members of parliament about the establishment of an all-party interfaith caucus, a nonpartisan group that could engage with the ideas and concerns brought forward by religious groups. So you'll hear several different voices engaged in an exploratory discussion about how religion can help to foster dialogue, including with and among our elected representatives. You are listening to The Public Discourse, a podcast by the Baha'i Community of Canada's Office of Public Affairs. Welcome everyone who's already here. Uh, we are here to witness this webinar that's being offered today on faith as a vehicle for dialogue, a view from the community. And I have the pleasure of introducing the panelists today, and I will introduce each of them. Um, today, there will be the moderator will be Dr. John Malloy, who is the director of the Center for Public Ethics at Martin Luther King University College. Um, welcome, John. And we will have as panelists Richard Marceau, who is the Vice President for the Center of Israel and Jewish Affairs, as well as Dr. Catherine Jarvis, who is a representative of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, we also have Balpreet Singh, who is the Legal Counsel for the World Sikh Organization. Welcome, Balpreet and Peter Noteboom, who is the General Secretary for the Canadian Council of Churches, as well as the co-chair for the Canadian Interfaith Conversation. And Jeffrey Cameron, who is the Director of Public Affairs for the Baha'i Community of Canada. My name is Dalara Mirfanyan, and I am the Communications Manager for the Baha'i Community of Canada's Office of Public Affairs. Um, so now I will pass it on to John. Great. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Delaram, and good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, this event. It's a special democracy festival event that, of course, uh, uh, builds on the democracy exchange that's been taking place over the past few weeks, or excuse me, the past few days. Yesterday, and I know many of you were there, you were able to view it, We, I had the honor to moderate an important discussion between three members of parliament from three different parties about the creation of an all-party interfaith caucus to promote dialogue between MPs and serve as a forum for discussion with Canada's diverse religious communities. They also spent some time exploring how faith can have a positive role in public policy, as well as their work as uh, political representatives with the broader faith community. And we certainly wanna thank the three MPs for taking time out of their busy schedule, the Green Parties, Elizabeth May, the Conservative Parties, Garnet Genuis, and the Liberal Parties, uh, Anthony Housefather. It was a lively discussion, and in planning for it, we, we didn't want the uh, conversation to end with yesterday's session. So as a follow-up, as you can see, we've invited distinguished leaders from a number of national faith organizations to reflect upon yesterday's discussion, as well as the more general topic of the intersection between faith, uh, faith communities, 
in politics and public policy. So you've had a chance to meet them, a a wide range of organizations, certainly a a great deal of experience. And I want to thank all of them for joining us and uh, perhaps open by asking uh, Jeff Cameron, who helped co-host yesterday's session, to maybe summarize the discussion between the three members of Parliament. Yeah, thanks very much, Don. It was a very stimulating uh, discussion between three members of Parliament. I think they, they spoke at both a, a very personal level and with a great deal of honesty about how they saw the role of religion in their own lives as um, public servants, public officials. They were also reflected on the interactions they've had with, with religious groups. Maybe I could just mention a few kind of high-level points that each of them brought forward that I were salient for me. You know, Elizabeth May spoke uh, about the, the way in which personal faith and connection to religious communities can be an important source of spirituality, social connection, and moral grounding for MPs. She also commented on how it can help to overcome tendencies towards partisan tribalism on the Hill. At a, a different level of discussion, Garnet Genuas talked about you know, the, the role that religious groups play in civil society, that, uh, that although we live in a, we could say we live in a secular society, what this means is, is in fact, that, that no group should be preferred over the other. It doesn't mean exclusion of religion from the public sphere or discrimination uh, against religious groups or that public officials shouldn't engage with in a constructive way um, religious groups uh, in, in the course of their work. Anthony Housefather, address a number of points. So he also, one of the ones that he spoke to is just that engaging engaging more fully with religion can also open up discussion. It can help to identify common principles and point towards common ground. I mean, like Garnet Janus, he talked about how working with religious groups, which themselves are not positioned according to political party, can also help with problem solving around legislation and finding common ground where sometimes the, the partisan uh, frames of, of parties can find it difficult to, to find compromise and solve problems. Maybe I, I can also just add a few personal reflections. I, I, I think as this event today shows, you know, we have very good relations among religious groups in Canada. I think we're fortunate. You know, we have a number of organized religious groups that are engaged actively with public issues, that know how to work together, that um, draw from the highest aspirations of our traditions to work for the common good. And I think there's the real potential to channel this uh, resource, this uh, sense of common cause in a way that can strengthen a democratic fabric by helping to promote dialogue and and address tendencies toward polarization that that can assert themselves in Ottawa and more broadly. So my my own hopes for this discussion today and even further further beyond is that this can help to lay the groundwork for um, a, a kind of civil, si- civil society commitment to an all-party interfaith caucus that could potentially choose, you know, a few issues every year to, to focus on that create structured discussion between uh, religious groups, organizations inspired by religion, even those that may not necessarily be, be connected with religion, but draw upon a moral ethical vision to promote cross-partisan dialogue that is addressed to the common good. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of seeing how this can evolve. And I think the event yesterday and this one today are good places to start to, to, to get the conversation uh, going and to begin thinking about uh, some of these lines of action. Great. Thank you very much, Jeff. I want to turn to, to Peter um, with your 
role as uh, co-chair of the Canadian Interfaith Conversation. Uh, uh, yesterday was not the beginning of a, a discussion about an interfaith caucus by any means. There have been uh, uh, ongoing meetings and, and dialogue on Parliament Hill with various religious groups, and I know the Canadian Interfaith Conversation has been involved. Do you want to just talk a little bit about your involvement, but also why why does the, conver- the Canadian Interfaith Conversation see this as important? Why does it help uh, uh, with their, uh, their goals and mandate? Thank you, John, and uh, thanks so much, Jeffrey, for that summary. But also, you know, such a such a great uh, synthesis of where we are as religious communities working with each other in Canada for the common good. Um, I think for the Canadian Interfaith Conversation, which was founded some, you know, maybe ten years ago. I think this is really our tenth anniversary in some ways. There was a when the G20 came to Canada in uh, in 2010. Uh, of course, the summit of political leaders, there were some religious leaders in Canada who said, well, there should also be a summit of religious leaders from those countries talking about the issues that, that, that we're facing. And it was out of that meeting, a relatively large meeting in Winnipeg called the World Summit on Religious Leaders. That was the first time, really, that many of us had gotten together to talk about Care for Creation um, addressing the Millennium Development Goals at the time, now the Sustainable Development Goals, and for the pursuit of peace as kind of three main areas of work. And after that, um, we continued the conversation. We became friends, and we said we need to continue this kind of collaboration and deepen it. And so shortly after that, there was a summit on the Hill on poverty, another one on climate, and that really kicked off um, a regular table of conversation where leaders of religious communities in Canada or leaders of umbrella bodies in Canada have been thinking about what's the positive role of religion in Canada? What can it contribute to the public space, to the uh, common good? And part of that has been both getting to know one another and so developing deeper personal relationships so that when a topic comes up, we know who to call. So the Canadian Interfaith Conversation aspires to a meeting place for those representatives of religious communities and umbrella bodies and build those relationships and advocate for the positive role of religion in Canada's society and be a common platform for working on issues of the common good. Thank you, Peter. I want to continue the conversation with Rishar. You uh, uh, have worked with uh, parliamentarians. I don't know if I'm allowed to share your secret that you're a former parliamentarian like uh, myself, but you've worked with other uh, uh, faith communities on issues of interest. And I I just wonder if you could share the value you see in faith communities coming together and and, and working with parliamentarians and what some of your uh, experience has been, and even your experience as a former uh, member of parliament. Thanks, uh, thanks, John. Uh, and it's nice to be with this distinguished uh, panel, the distinguished panel. A um, couple of things that, that I, I should mention there. There's the, the value that Peter noted at the beginning, which is the fact that when we work together as different communities coming together, it, it, it builds bridges. It builds bridges between communities and we get to know one another. Uh, we get to understand one another. And certainly for me, on a personal level, it helped me discover so many interesting people and interesting traditions. Uh, I remember the first time, for example, that I, I the first time or second time I met Balpreet, 
and I remember asking him if we, instead of meeting in, in an office, if we could meet in the Gordara so that we could start with him telling me about his tradition. Uh, and he made me uh, visit one in the GTA and it was fascinating. And then we got into a conversation on, on issues. Uh, but for me, it was so enriching on, on a personal level to, to do that. And it, whenever we, we work with uh, other groups, that is certainly good for, for me personally, as well as for, for the Jewish community. And we're looking always for, uh, for reasons to talk. The second part of your question, John, is working with, with parliamentarians. I believe we bring a lot to the table uh, as, as communities uh, when we're part of the political process uh, and the public policy process, what we have to realize, and I remember when I was sitting across the table like you, John, as, as a member of parliament, as a parliamentarian, is that once we decide to uh, engage in this, that we become political pr- uh, players. So that means that, you know, sometimes you get criticized for it. So you have to be willing to, to do that. You have to be willing to, to have people that will contradict you because that's a democracy, that is dialogue, that is debate, and it's, 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 uh, it's healthy. So we have to be mindful when we get into when get engaged into the public policy debate that people some people will agree with us some people will disagree and our work is to convince uh, decision makers to to come to our point of view. No, I think they're 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 excellent points and and I wanted to turn to to, to Catherine to talk about her interfaith work uh, in Montreal. She's based in Montreal within Quebec, and just to build on what what Peter and Rashar said. What models or experiences have you seen that might uh, might be translated to the national level of some of the, the initiatives you've worked on in, in Montreal and in Quebec? Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me to participate in this um, dialogue. I come with a very different perspective. I come really as a person who works on the ground in grassroots initiatives. Uh, and these grassroots initiatives are working to build connections, as many of you have talked about connections and and develop relationships with people in faith communities um, so that we can support each other and also um, so we can advocate for the voice of people of faith in the community and at the political level. Uh, In terms of things on the ground um, that the ground that could be helpful, I think that um, some of the things that I've learned uh, in my work in interfaith work is that religious communities really want a voice. They want to be heard. I think that these efforts to work across, uh, uh, work in community together, uh, really does help us to hear each other's voices. It helps us to hear how public policy affects, uh, not only for us to express how it's affecting our communities, but to hear how other communities are affected uh, by public policy. Uh, I think that's a really important thing that happens when we dialogue with each other is that we uh, come to a better understanding of how these things affect other members of our community, not only in advocating for our own needs in in public space, but also just understanding and listening to others. Uh, I think this is especially true when we're dealing with public policy that's divisive. And I think that uh, I would hope that this caucus moving, this potential caucus that is being suggested to move forward would help elected officials to understand better uh, how religious communities are affected by these public policies and to really hear the voices of people on the ground and to recognize that religious communities are diverse and and often um, religious communities are stereotyped. Uh, 
And I think just having common interaction and not only dialogue, but action together goes a long way to breaking down some of these barriers that exist in our, in our communities. So those are my initial thoughts about this. Great. Now, thank you very much. And well, Preet, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Now, you, you come at this, obviously, dealing with government directly, but also from a legal point of view. And I know you've, uh, you've been very involved with working with uh, your community and presumably other faith communities, a number of legal issues in front of the court. So maybe you want to talk about that angle of, uh, uh, I guess, in a sense, as a form of action or advocacy, and then also the larger picture of, uh, of uh, dealing with parliamentarians, because it's obviously closely related. I'm actually going to take it from a sick perspective. Uh, just to give you a little bit of context from where I'm coming from. Uh, the Sikh faith actually lends itself to the Canadian model of secularism really quite well. So uh, freedom of religion, um, it, it's, it's a part of who we, who we are. One of our gurus, the ninth guru, actually was put to death by the state, the Mughal regime, because he stood up for the Hindu community's uh, right to practice their faith, even though the practices he was defending were actually uh, not permitted or, or were, were considered not appropriate for Sikhs to follow. So he stood up for their right to follow, even though we didn't agree with it. And that's really translated into how we operate. For example, my organization has uh, been quite vocal in its support for Muslim women to be able to veil if they so choose, uh, even though veiling is against the Sikh faith. It's not permitted for Sikh women. But as a question of freedom of religion, we've, we believe that if, a, if someone wants to do that, then they have a right to do that. So looking at it from a political perspective, this engagement, uh, this belief of everyone's equal and everyone can follow their faith and uh, we will defend everyone's right, it also couples with the Sikh ethos of service. So uh, serving others is a major part of the Sikh faith. And that's not just serving Sikhs, it means serving everyone. And politics is a very real way of doing that. Uh, and that's partly the reason why you have such a large presence of the Sikh community in the political sphere. Six are quite prominent. I mean, I don't need to tell you that. There's uh, 17 Sikh MPs. You have Jigmeet Singh, the leader of the NDP. You have six on all, all, sides of, uh, all sides of the bench, really. But there's an issue there. The issue is that they're elected not to be the Sikh MP. They're elected to be representatives of their constituency. So often, this has been my experience, the Sikh MPs are nervous about speaking about issues that affect the Sikh community. They don't want to be seen as, you know, the Sikh MP, the guy that's always talking about the Sikh issues. So we actually, a couple of days ago, released a sort of a, a graphic campaign to talk about uh, which MPs have been raising Sikh issues in the House. Interestingly, Garnet Genuis is the MP that has raised the issues of the Sikh community by far more than any other MP. It's like 25 references by Garnet, and the one following that was Sukh Daliwal from Surrey at 15. And that's only because um, he, he was talking about Sikh Heritage Month. So um, that's, that's where I'll leave it. I think an interfaith caucus that is open to and understands the concerns of faith-based communities and isn't afraid of engaging in the faith on, on the faith level and isn't afraid of being, uh, I guess, stereotyped as just being, you know, uh, that MP, I think it would have a real value. Well, I want to pick up on the point you raised about, about sick MPs and just and broaden that and maybe ask and I'll sort of open it up to whoever wants to, to speak about what should our ex expectations be? And I think, Balpreet, you raised a very good point that uh, someone who's uh, uh, devout, someone who's involved with their faith is 
is probably more open to other faith communities, no matter what, just because they have a, a, a sort of a natural, most reflexive respect for it. But what should uh, our expectations be of members of parliament of faith uh, when we're engaging, when they're, 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 they're our faith, they're, they represent us or they represent uh, a tradition that we're associated with? I feel like I'm in my class here. I've got it. Peter. Just a couple of things that come to mind. I'm not sure that it responds to your question exactly, but um, in in the Canadian Council of Churches, uh, every spring usually we we make some visits to the Parliament Hill and meet with MPs. And I'm hoping that this um, interfaith caucus uh, also provides more occasions for those interpersonal relationships and connections and advocacy moments and learning. But We're always very conscious when we bring an issue, whether it be nuclear disarmament, uh, uh, poverty or the Canadian poverty reduction strategy or climate justice, that these are topics that are of concern for all Canadians, that they reflect values that are shared or maybe rooted in are broadly shared. And it's, it's good to be clear about what those principles are and to be able to articulate them well. We don't always get into the policy or even legislative problem-solving mode that Anthony Housefather mentioned yesterday because we may or may not have the expertise or the research capacity to do that. But I think being aware uh, that we're speaking on behalf of a wider community helps. Yeah, Balpreet, you want to? So here's what my thoughts are. Uh, Firstly, as a community, so I'm going to start with the community. Uh, we have to understand that the MPs aren't there as our representatives, even if they're of the same faith. They're there to represent their constituency. That has to be clear. And they have uh, their party to answer to. That's all fine. Uh, so we have to keep our expectations realistic. But at the same time, there shouldn't be a fear on the part of the MPs to speak about these faith issues. And there really is. Um, this talk about secularism. I think we all believe in secularism, but we have to understand what that means. The Quebec version of secularism doesn't strike me as being the Canadian version of it. So uh, for me, secularism means that you're free to be who you are as long as you treat everyone uh, with dignity, with respect, and no one is either favored or disfavored because of their faith. For me, that's what secularism uh, really means. But what it sometimes actually feels like to the MPs is that they have to be very quiet about their faith. They can't, they can't talk about their faith or even engaging sometimes with their faith community is seen as, as risky, but it really shouldn't. So for me, I think parties, and I don't know if this applies to other faith groups, but for, certainly for the Sikh community, parties should not look at their MPs as being representatives of their faith. They should look at them as members of the consist- constituency. What I'm finding sometimes is that the parties go to uh, Sikh MPs as a shortcut to find out what the community is thinking, uh, the Sikh community is thinking about a certain issue. It doesn't work that way. Uh, The MPs, once again, if we as a community have to understand they're representing their constituency, and the parties also have to understand that they're not representing their faith group there. And, And sometimes what we're seeing is the MPs want to act as gatekeepers. So come to me as the as a spokesperson of the faith community, and you don't have to directly engage with the community. It's a it's an easy shortcut for the party, but it gets them into real trouble sometimes. Do others want to uh, uh, jump in? You may have similar experiences, Catherine. Well, I was just going to say I um, I think uh, somebody else mentioned earlier that it goes two ways, and I do think um, we have to be mindful of that. 
I do think as religious communities, we should be able to expect that our members of parliament and our local uh, you know, elected officials, that they represent us too, right? Even though they represent everyone, they also represent us. So I think there does have to be pathways uh, to elected officials where groups can at least know that their voice is heard. So I, I, I think that's something we should expect from our elected officials, that we will be at least heard. I do think we have a voice back into our communities that, that often elected officials um, may, may benefit from, from using. So I do think that we should be going to them and asking them, how can we help on these issues? What is it that you need on the ground? Is there ways for us to provide service? Is there ways for us to, um, to circulate information? Like what things could we do to help our elected officials on the ground? So I think that's something for us to think about. And uh, on the last point, I just wanted to say that I think we can do a lot. Um, I just want to give an example that's happened in Quebec recently that I've appreciated uh, observing. And that is that uh, during COVID, um, as, as our provincial government was making policies for reopening, it, it became clear to the religious community that they weren't that interested in um, issues of reopening religious, religious buildings. It wasn't a priority for the government. And I really appreciated watching a group of faith leaders come together and try to find a solution on their own, come up with policy, work with the public health uh, department, and to come back to the government with a solution that they thought could work for religious communities and to try to advocate the, from the grassroots up for a policy that the government could uh, bring forward and implement that would support religious communities meeting during times of COVID, but that would be safe and that would um, respect public health guidelines. But it came from the other direction. It wasn't the government coming down on, on the religious communities with a policy. It was the faith communities bringing a policy to the government that, could, that was wise and safe and could be implemented. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, others, Rishar or, or, or Jeff or Peter to jump in on this. Jeff? Yeah, I mean, this isn't a direct response to your question, John, because there aren't any Baha'i members of Parliament, but, um, but just something I was reflecting on as everyone was talking, I think there is a kind of, um, you know, there's an assumption sometimes that in, in a democracy, the way things are structured is that you have MPs who have interests in being elected and you have groups that have interests in their issues being heard. And to a certain extent, I guess that's a realistic way of looking at how our political life is organized around kind of a convergence and conflict between interests. But I think there's there's a value in the in creating the kind of space envisioned by this all-party interfaith caucus, which is a different mode of public or political discourse that is not so much driven by the assertion of interests and is more oriented around practices that I think are prevalent within all of our communities, which have to do with returning to uh, moral, ethical, spiritual principles, and then exploring what the implications might be for public policy. So I think there's a kind of, there is a, uh, an, an influence that creating this kind of a space can have in promoting a different mode of conversation and dialogue around public policy issues that can bring uh, this, I guess, ethic of examining the implications of principle for public policy rather than just seeing politics as a kind of war between the interests of different groups. Richard, do you want to pick up? Uh, well, many interesting things uh, were said, and I, I'm, I'm mindful of the time. I'll just, I just want to, though, be, you know, John and I, we, 
you and I have been in, in that situation that is that parliamentarians and politicians are so pressed in time that when, when they meet with people, uh, they want to, of course, understand, but then it's okay, what can I do? Like, give me something concrete that is actionable that, that I can, you know, say yes or no to, and then, you know, just maybe uh, pick it, pick up and, and, and drive forward. So as, as, as groups that are either religious or represent communities, because I, there's a difference for some of, of us on this panel, we have to be mindful of that. We have to, uh, when we meet members of parliament that are asked so many things by so many groups during the day, we have to be mindful of their time and, and be clear as to the ask that we want them to, uh, to be active on. Can I um, stir things up? Maybe none of you want that to. We've, uh, I'm going to turn it around. I mean, we've talked about uh, uh, politicians and, you know, them representing, uh, uh, having to balance, I guess, and, uh, and, and realize their party affiliation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we've, we've talked a lot about faith communities coming together uh, on issues, on approaches, on values, things like that. But uh, I can give you a very long list of people uh, who often criticize the work I do by saying, come on, Malloy, uh, faith communities are divided on a whole bunch of issues. Um, they're not just the issues themselves, but the priorities that they place on them. Uh, I, I think I was mentioned to, 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 to Peter and, and, and Jeff uh, uh, in another session, a uh, private session, that when I tell students that I teach courses on the intersection of faith and politics, they say, oh, you mean you speak about abortion? They actually think there are no other issues out there. But there are issues that divide faith communities where faith communities uh, you know, may have differing views or one faith community is way out there ahead of others in terms of the priority that's, that's putting forward. So you know, when we're talking about an interfaith uh, uh, caucus dealing with faith communities, how, how do we organize ourselves? How do we, uh, as faith communities, overcome uh, some of those divisions with, uh, within ourselves? I know it's not an easy question. But. Well, let me, let me, this time, let me start. Uh, we all know the old joke, two Jews, three opinions. Uh, it's a cliche, but there's a reason why it's a cliche, because it's true. And our, the Jewish community is quite diverse, going from totally secular, even atheist, to ultra-Orthodox. Uh, and speaking for, for siege at the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs, what we try to do as best as we can is to uh, undertake a constant consultations with people from uh, across the community and across the country to be in constant dialogue with, uh, with our community. We have a board that is diverse, again, different points of view from across the political spectrum, uh, and also local, uh, we call them uh, partner councils, that are, their main job is to relay to us the main, uh, to relay, and their main concerns, right? So we, there's an intense intra-Jewish discussion that takes place before it goes, uh, it, it goes out. Because otherwise you risk, the, uh, you run the risk of being disconnected from the community and then not being representative of that community. Peter, do you want to pick up on that? I mean, your, your other hat for the Canadian Council of Churches. I mean, I think I'll be, I'll name names here. <laughs> you know, something like medical assistance in dying, you'll find, uh, uh, I think, differing views amongst faith communities, but also the priority that they're, they're, they're placing on it. I mean, how, 
how how do faith communities figure that out or 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 deal with it as they as they approach parliamentarians? You know, so often we think about that endpoint. You know, that conversation with the MP or the postcard that we're sending in or the petition that we're signing or the court action that we're taking, but. Really, there's so much work that needs to happen up front about being informed, about reading, about inviting in people who are affected by whatever issue it is, learning from experts, discussing it in community, discerning together what this really means. I think the Religious Society of Friends has an incredibly strong process for that kind of discernment, praying, organizing, all those things that Richard mentioned, that intra-conversation. That's so important to have. And while, say, there may be differences of points of view or even outcomes on medical assistance in dying, there is actually a a strong consensus across the board about universal access to palliative care. So there are ways to find complementary pieces that really advance a much more commonly shared point of view, even while respecting differences within a particular faith community. I think we need to do better at telling our own stories. I mean that faith communities have over many years had quite a lot of impact in many areas of public life. And whether that's detention for heavily indebted poor countries, whether that's public health care for all, whether that's generic drugs and HIV AIDS legislation, whether that's advocating for the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, whether it's Uh, standing on the side of refugees and refugee rights, advocating for those, or uh, conscientious rights for healthcare professionals and war resistors, capital punishment, nuclear disarmament. There's a long list of areas where we have together already advocated strongly and had powerful public policy impact. Um, So the story is not only those where there's a disagreement or difference. Do I, oh, Jeff, you want to? Jump in. I know this isn't an easy question, but it's the one that, you know, the minute you leave the faith world, uh, uh, the formal faith world, you get so often, you know, you you guys are trying to ram your beliefs down your throat. You're all disagree, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I don't know if this is a direct answer to your question, John, but I just want to first, you know, recognize, you know, Richard's comment earlier that often, you know, when you're in a meeting with an MP, um, you know, you have to be precise and practical in what you're asking for. And there's a, there's a point, and I think in advocacy where precision is is important but there's also i think there is there's a need for the kind of conversation that precedes advocacy as well or or which can even complement it public policy issues are are complex and often you know to be perfectly frank they they take place at a superficial level of discussion that that refers back to maybe a common set of, of for lack of a better term a common set of liberal principles um small L liberal principles that everyone might share that we want to be free and we want to maximize choice and so forth. But what I think, you know, each religion is a deep, has a tradition, has a different conceptual framework that may include some liberal principles, but may also expand beyond them. And creating a space for, for conversation around even hot button moral issues like abortion, medical assistance and dying, and other issues, you know, sometimes when they get to the point of advocacy, they're very contentious. But then if you create a space for conversation, which actually allows for the exposure of what are the underlying principles driving these positions where there might be divergence of views among religious groups, in, at the very least, even if you can't find consensus on the policy position, you can at least 
have a better understanding of where everyone is coming from. And I think too often in our political discourse, that's lacking. I mean, our politics only takes place, even, even opinion editorials and newspapers only take place at the level of policy recommendations, which again, that's a part of advocacy, but there is also the conversation that precedes it or complements it, which is about what are the underlying principles and, um, and beliefs that, that lead us to arrive at these positions. So that there's the opportunity to better understand each other, change our minds, modulate positions to take better account of, uh, of the views of others. And it's that kind of a space that I would like to see more of in our political life in Canada. Thank you. I, I want to hear from Catherine or Balpreet. I know these are not easy questions. I just wanted to follow up on what Jeff was just speaking about and just recognize uh, just recognize that this space where we come together uh, on policy is messy. I mean, it, it just is messy. Um, messy for so many reasons, but uh, the one that we've been speaking about briefly is that faith communities themselves are internally diverse. So there's a messiness at the level of faith groups before it even comes to the public policy space, which is also messy. So I think we have to just sit with that and just accept that this is a messy space and that we want to be there and we want to have a presence in this space as elected officials try to wade through, you know, the varying voices to come up with policies. And, and that is the space where we'll advocate for our own, you know, positions. I really like what um, Jeff was talking about, about that this Interfaith Caucus might be a space that comes before that and that it's a space for understanding. And I do think that space is very important before we get to the public policy space. Reminds me of a, an indigenous story my sister uh, often speaks to me about where there's a problem in the middle of the room and there's a group of people sitting in a circle around the problem and everyone's seeing the problem from a different degree on, on the circle. And, and I think that space of understanding is that space that this caucus could provide where we could sit in that circle together, we could see the problems, we could come to better understandings of why we see these things uh, based on our foundational you know, stories and traditions that underlie our, our faith communities, why what we're seeing, uh, how we're seeing that problem and how it impacts us. I think that space of understanding is crucial. Um, I thought maybe to end, I, uh, there have been a number of questions that have talked about really the, the focus of yesterday and, and what we're building on today, the idea of this uh, all-party faith caucus. And maybe what I thought I'd do is, is we'd go around, um, obviously people want to share some concluding comments, but also uh, in your mind, what would be the ideal role of this uh, uh, caucus? What would it, it do? Um, how, what issues would it take up? And uh, uh, how would you see them interacting. So what's in your in sort of a concrete response to uh, what we heard yesterday on that uh, moving forward? Uh, and then add any, any closing remarks that you, uh, uh, you want to add. And, and maybe I'll go the exact opposite and, and start with Balpreet. Yeah, so um, a caucus like this for me would be, there's been questions about what a space looks like. So a space is where you can ask questions and have issues and not be adversarial. I mean, politics is naturally adversarial. So I think we would have to look at this sort of a caucus as a bigger idea where we're creating once again, that safe space to talk about issues of faith. And because everyone is represented at the table, 
all the faiths are represented at the table. It's not an issue. Uh, it's not just a, a community issue. It's 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 an issue that everyone can look at on a broad base, and everyone can talk about maybe fearlessly without being afraid of being stereotyped as as representing just uh, an interest group. So for for me, that's what it looks like: just creating a space where you can have these things talked about, and you don't have to worry about. Uh, I mean, there will be issues where not everyone will agree. I mean. This will be an experiment. This will be an experiment. Great. Thank you very much. And thank you for your participation uh, uh, today. Catherine, you're next in the reverse order. If you have some closing thoughts and just this idea, a practical idea, what, what, what are your hopes for this all-party caucus? I have four hopes for this, this caucus. I hope that it will model an inclusive space uh, of listening and a space of dialogue. I hope that it would include a wide range of voices. That's my first hope. The second hope would that it would model how, how politicians and elected officials and religious communities could work together. And I emphasize the work that I think I would love to see this, uh, this caucus not only have discussions, but actually do work in the community. I would hope that uh, this caucus would provide leadership on how to build bridges of understanding between different communities and between communities and elected officials. And finally, I would hope that this caucus would model principles of religious freedom. The two that I spoke about earlier, the idea that they should be not promoting one religious belief over another, but um, having a space where all these voices can exist and that they would protect the exercise of, of free religion by all groups. Great, thank you. And thank you for your participation. Rishar, I think you're the next in the uh, reverse order. So I don't know exactly what I'm hoping from the from that caucus. I I, I certainly um, am a enthusiastic participant and supporter of it, but I, I I don't want to get our hopes too high. It's a very fast-paced environment. Parliament, and as I mentioned a few times, parliamentarians tend to be pull in many many directions. So I I, I think whatever the agenda is. Uh, let's make sure that we don't bite off more than we can chew. Um, otherwise, it will not succeed. Uh, so we'll have to be uh, very practical, very minded. And, and what I would like uh, is to see people who are not religiously inclined, for whom religion is not important, if we could get them interested. You know, all the MPs that were mentioned a few times here have an interest in religion, have an interest or, or an understanding what it means in people's lives. A lot of people don't. And if, 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 if we could just legitimize the, the, the religiously, I guess, fueled point of views uh, in the public discourse, that would be a good thing. Because my a big fear that I have uh, is that uh, as Canada is becoming more and more diverse, you know, we speak less and less the same language, and there are a lot of people that don't understand the value of uh, of people of religion in some people's lives and i think that's tragic my not i'm not saying that they have to agree with the religious point of view or or to the dogma or faith x or y uh, but understanding that there are people of faith in this country and that their voices also matter would be a big uh, big step forward great thank you uh Rishar, and thank you for your participation today peter i think you're Next in the line. Sure, just to uh, to uh, say ditto to Richard, especially the part about being practical, not biting off more than we can chew, uh, being very modest in our expectations, especially as we just get started. 
Um, but I hope that in so, do, in so doing, we actually advance the main theme of this conference, democracy, that uh, we make a small contribution to a stronger democratic country. That's not just individual rights of voting, but includes a deeper commitment to human rights for all, and includes a stronger social contract. Wonderful. Thank you. And thank you, too, Peter, for uh, your involvement. And the, the last, uh, last word to Jeff. I said a lot already, I think, about what my, my hopes are, and I couldn't agree more with all of my colleagues and friends who've gone before me. But I mean, I, my hope also is that this initiative can start small with, the, you know, with plans to try to choose an issue or a theme that we'd like to focus on and to create some combination of more intimate dialogue with a few interested members of parliament um, and, and representatives of religious communities combined with some broader kind of public engagement. And I hope, uh, you know, between the interfaith conversation and some of the MPs who have been most actively interested in this initiative, uh, we can make plans to to do something in in the months ahead in order to gain experience and learn what the right balance is between kind of broad exploratory dialogue and and being practical and specific, as as has been mentioned. Great. Thank you very much, Jeff. And and I want to thank you and, and all the panelists again for your participation. I want to thank all the uh, people who have tuned in. So once again, thank you. uh, And thanks uh, to Democracy Exchange and the Democracy uh, Festival. And I'll I'll give the uh, true last word to uh, Delaram to uh, wrap things up. Thank you, John. I just wanted to jump in to thank you, actually, for helping us navigate this conversation. Such an important conversation today. And to all the panelists as well for giving us your time, your insights. It's been truly a a very important space to hold and to all the attendees that have allotted this time to be with us today. Thank you all. You have been listening to The Public Discourse, a podcast by the Baha'i Community of Canada's Office of Public Affairs. You can learn more about the Baha'i faith at baha'i.ca and follow the work of our office at opa.baha'i.ca, where you will find links to our social media handles on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube.